Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by a new panel of professionals who are ready to be open, honest, and challenge themselves with some sometimes tough conversations. And today we're talking about bias or preference versus bias. Now we've talked a lot about bias on the show, whether it be gender, race, or class, but equally we talk a lot about personal choice, autonomy, the importance of following our own paths. And in that space falls preference. You prefer to work from home because it suits your life better. You prefer to work with particular people because you know your personality or work ethic aligns. But what happens when the two start to overlap and the line gets blurred? When does a preference become a bias? How do you spot it and what can you do about it? It's complicated, but we're going to be diving into those big questions today. So a warm welcome to Katie, Rima, Samantha, Kate, and George, who are going to share their thoughts and experiences with us today. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? And I will start with you, Katie. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. Uh, my name is Katie Date, and I am the Senior Vice President of Industry Relations and Strategic Initiatives for Manifest. Um, I just joined the team in April after spending 10 years at the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics, where I founded the Women in Supply Chain Initiative. I identify as a Caucasian female, and I have a three-year-old human baby, as well as a five-year-old fur baby, which uh, keep me very busy living here in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, I am sure. And thanks so much for joining us for this topic. I know you probably have a lot to share, so I'm excited to dive in. Samantha, you're up next. Tell us who you are and what you do. So thank you so much for having me. I'm Samantha Galton, VP of Commercial Operations for Fleet Zero, um, about thir uh, 16 years in supply chain, I identify a uh, Black female um, and mom of a teenager. So um, pray for me and all of us who are out there. Been there, done that. So I will definitely send you some good juju vibes. I appreciate you for being here. I know we only have you for a little bit of time, so I can't wait to get into that discussion. George, we'll head over to you as the only male on this panel today. Yes, and happy to be here. Uh, my name is George Protopapadakis. I am the Senior Communications Specialist for Bloom Global. Uh, I'm now going into my third year of working in supply chain and my seventh year working in uh, corporate communications. Um, this is kind of like a second venture into, into my career, uh, but it's been uh, pretty interesting. And I have to say, I think it's something I'm going to stick with for a while. Uh, and I identify as uh, he, him, his. Awesome. Thanks for joining us and being part of the conversation. Kate, we'll send it over to you. Tell us who you are and what you do and how you identify. Hi, everyone. I'm super happy to be here. My name is Kate Walker. Um, I'm a junior at the University of Arkansas studying supply chain management and marketing. Um, and I identify as white female and I am physically disabled. Great. Thank you so much for being here and can't wait to hear your insights. Last but absolutely not least, Rima. Hello. Thanks for having me. My voice is quite different from everyone else. As you can tell, I'm from the UK. I am the founder of a company called People of Data. 
People of Data is all about looking at data from an inclusive lens and thinking about how we can challenge our biases, especially relating to organizations that support uh, products or services for customer audiences. And I'm currently based out of Edinburgh in the UK. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as a woman who is of British Indian descent. Awesome. Well, you're going to be bringing the data, like the actual stats, I think, and analytics to the conversation, which is going to be great. So why don't we start with you? Because I want to start talking about some of the definitions and sort of get the conversation started, get us all thinking about preference versus bias. So I'm Rima, I'm going to start with you. What is bias? What does that mean to you? And where, how is that coming out in the data that you um, go through on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. So I think bias is really kind of centered around this idea of creating discrimination or some sort of some sort of you know um, prejudice maybe that comes across where you can end up isolating someone or something in a choice that you make. So especially in data, we hear a lot about AI having a lot of bias in and therefore AI not necessarily being inclusive towards certain peoples of group or certain categories of information as well. So certainly how I see this coming up in data is data is absolutely created by humans uh, for better or worse we are the people who are creating all of this information that is used by these algorithms and actually the challenge then comes with bias that we inherently as a species do create bias in in how we move through the world how we create data and information so that can be a real big challenge for how we utilize data and kind of especially use it to you know inform business decisions as well Absolutely. Samantha, what is your definition of bias? Yeah, so I think really it, it's uh, it's like that transition period. So you start with your preferences. You know, I like broccoli. I don't like tomatoes. I like um, corn, but I don't like leafy lettuce. And then you, when that starts to transition to when you stop accepting options and only go with the the broccoli or only go with the, the leaf lettuce, and I probably just switched those, um, that's, that's when it becomes a bias. So it's when you stop accepting other options, when you stop accepting other characteristics within some person, because you have these like um, very held beliefs um, that probably come from, you know, past experiences, what you've heard or something that's, you know, external coming at you. Um, once you've grabbed hold of that and you're not open to anything else, that's when it's becoming a bias. And that's when you see a bias as a negative, right? It becomes a problem. Um, and then that's when your decision-making in business, I think, starts to crumble is because you've shut your ears off and you're not open to anything else. I think that's that's what bias is to me. I appreciate that example. And I'm going to share an example a little bit later on that might challenge that a little bit. Um, that takes it a little bit further. It's kind of a personal example. Um, but and I want to talk about it a little bit later, but I want to find out how everybody else thinks about bias first. So Kate, what do you think about bias? And how do you think about preference? Yeah, so I think a bias kind of building off of what Samantha said. Um, I think it is learned based on maybe it's what your family told you, or maybe it was just like the community you were around something that is often negative that you um, like characteristics that you pick out in employees or friends or anything like that. Um, That's what I think bias is. And then preference is just more along the lines of, I think, less discriminatory 
discriminatory, however you say the word, um, biases because it's just you prefer this or that, but it, it can become biased very quickly. Interesting. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like the environment does really mold some of the things like we might not actually think that it is wrong if we are around people who say that it's right all the time. We're not around people that actually challenge something that we say and is like, no, that's really wrong. Like you really shouldn't be speaking like that or saying that word or things like that. So I think that's a really important point. Thank you. Katie, what do you think? So, you know, everything that that everyone else has said, and I think, you know, when you look at bias, if it starts to impact your judgment and it starts to impact business decisions or your personal relationships or, you know, how you go about things, that's when the bias starts to become negative. I think, you know, there's there are there's positive bias. And I think that it's when it starts impacting your judgment and starts having those negative behaviors that is that's when it starts to become you know something to be to be concerned about um i think preferences are very innocent and are something you know that we develop over time and you know like you said bias is often something that we learn it's it's -hmm. something that it's the people that you're around the your family how you grow up and until you exit that bubble often that you're in you you often don't know that what you're doing you know has a negative impact on others yeah absolutely george last uh, comments on this what does bias mean to you and what does preference mean to you uh, I think I think preference. I look at preference as kind of the umbrella, and I, I believe that the I believe preference becomes bias, and whether that be via our own experiences through life, or you know how we choose to characterize certain individuals, whether it be to work with or to rent to, like with property, or you know, of course, there's laws that you know that, that control that. But I think overall preference can become bias and it's up to the individual to keep some level of being objective to keep it as preference you know uh versus bias because you know as everyone else has stated and i'll say again uh bias is kind of closing yourself off with a hard ideal towards a specific group isolating isolating even yourself from certain decisions um and preference is just a matter of uh, being open and malleable to that. Yeah. And well, and easier said than done, I think. <laughs> Saying that people need to be a, a objective, right? So I want to give you guys the context of why I decided to do this particular episode. So I'm going back to March 2023. And out for dinner with a friend of mine, we're having a casual conversation on the way home. And we're talking about blended. We're talking about diversity and inclusion. And she says to me, do you go to a male or a female doctor? And I was like, well, I go to a female doctor. She's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, because, (laughs) you know, I've either, there was a bunch of different things and reasons why I go to a female doctor. And she was so passionate about the fact that that is a bias. And I was so passionate about that being a preference Because she's like, would you go to a male doctor? And I'm like, I'm not sure. And it depends what it's for. 
So then we got into this whole discussion as to whether my choice of female versus male doctor is preference or whether it's bias. And she was very passionate about it. And I was very passionate about it. And I was like, but it made me think, right? It made me think, okay, well, do I have a bias against male doctors? Or do I just have a preference about going to a female doctor because of specific reasons? George, go ahead. I knew this is going to start a spark debate. I love I love this question. <laughs> I believe if your reservations lied in the fact that you believed female doctors were superior in knowledge and execution versus male doctors, that absolutely is bias. Correct. Hmm. Now, if it's your preference, and I see how I see that, right? I'm going to give a PR answer. Right now. <laughs> now, if it's your preference to have a female doctor because of the ability for them to relate to, you know, your issues on an emotional level, they relate to your anatomy because they may share it with you. Uh, that absolutely, I think, is preference, you know, because it's not a matter of, you believing a woman doctor can do more than a male doctor. It's just that you feel in that moment, maybe you're more open to sharing to a female doctor. Now in the case where that borders, that borders the line. It does. It does. I think (laughs) that's kind of where, you know, as medical, you know, as healthcare providers, it might be the situation where it's how you receive those kinds of those patients and those kind of situations, because I think it's all on the tone of the patient as well. I believe that you can totally tell someone's intentions versus, you know, from how they're speaking and what their angle is, you know? Okay. Uh, and if, if, if it's a genuine, if you're receiving it as genuine, most likely it probably is just kind of like, a, I prefer to have a female doctor because mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable, whether it's a, an experience from the past or, you know, not saying that's Drama. anything. There's, you know, that, there's all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That's personal. It's just more, in that case, kind of like a professional decision from them. Yeah. Um, yeah that, so we so we debated this. Like, this was a heated debate for like 30 minutes. We kissed and made up afterwards. It was fine. But it was literally this heated debate. Kate, I know you want to weigh in here. What do you think about this one? This example of preference versus bias. Yeah, so kind of building off... I guess uh, the story you shared, Sarah, my, um, so as someone with a physical disability, I've been in physical therapy for the better part of a decade. Um, and I have always preferred female physical therapist. And then it just, I like when I picked a physical therapist, I wanted them to be a female. And then it finally got down to the point where I had to pick between two and the male was more qualified and I go to the male and I've been going there for three years and I love him and he's great. But yeah, just like you said, that was definitely, I guess, I don't know if it was a preference or bias, just Mm -hmm. wanting a female physical therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I start the conversation with this example because it's really an example that everybody can kind of relate to. And we can go through the rest of this conversation in a way that people can relate to what we're saying now, right? Because there's definitions are great, but then if we can give a a relatable example that we can sort of go back to, then we can really start people thinking about, 
okay, well, maybe that is a bias and not just a preference. Sorry, was it Samantha, I think? Did you put your hand up? And then Katie? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's okay, but I, I'd like to give like another example that I think yeah. we struggle with, yeah. which is sitting, you're, you're going to the cafeteria mm-hmm. and as a black female, who do I sit next to? Do I sit next to the other black females or do I sit next to maybe my white female counterparts? Okay. And and some people, when I would say, hey, I'm going to go maybe towards the black female counterparts, and they say, well, that's bias. And, and it all comes from who do you connect with? Mm-hmm. Who do I feel comfortable with? But I'm not sitting, I'm, I'm not not sitting next to the white counterparts because I don't like them because they're awful. And I think that they're like the most worst people. It's just, I want to feel a connection with somebody. I want to feel my community. And I'm sorry to leave you out of this, George, but in, in, a, in a communication way, you know, women tend to look for community. We, we speak to build community. We want to have a relationship that's deeper than um, than sometimes surface level, right? So we look for that first. Um, so I think that that woman doctor feeling of, of wanting that preference of women, it's it's, be, it's because of a connection that we might feel with that, that provider. So it's the same thing when I go to sit down, my first preference might be to sit with the black folk. But I know internally, I challenge myself to go find a connection with my white counterparts. And I think that's the difference between bias mm. and preference is my ability internally to say, hey, I know that my first instinct is to go towards my community, but I am going to fight that for just a moment so that I can open myself up to something else and go sit with someone else and find that that some other maybe connection with those people. And that's where I think the difference between preference and bias is. I make the decision internally to not be biased because I am going to go sit with the white folk and, and find a different type of community with them. Um, if I say, nope, never, not going to do it because they're awful, bias. Hmm. That, so that's where I... You said a few really cool things there because um, it's about awareness and it's about intentionality in respect to the difference between preference and bias. So at the beginning, we started with like definitions and here's my definition, but now we're really getting into, okay, what are the qualities that we need to work on within ourselves to really figure out whether it's preference versus bias? Um, And you also brought up a really, really good point in the fact that majority of diverse voices. So I did an episode about uh, what women have to think about versus men. And you just pointed out what diverse voices have to think about, (laughs) you know, when they go into a room and when they're going to sit with somebody or whether, you know, there's so many different things that we have to think about and preference and bias really come into play, whether we think about it or not. Katie, what do you think? So just to, to elaborate on uh, both Kate and, and Samantha's thoughts, I think where bias becomes dangerous is when we start to try to convince people of something. So if you were to try to convince your friend that male doctors are inferior, or if Samantha, you were to all of a sudden start saying, you know, like you said, well, I'm not going to sit with, you know, people that aren't a part of my community because they're bad or, you know, whatever. I think that's when bias becomes dangerous. And I think through education, we can become more um, aware of those biases and stop them before they become dangerous. And like you said, Samantha, challenge yourself to to step outside of that preference 
before it it were to ever become, you know, a dangerous bias. Yeah, yeah. And when we were having this discussion, she literally said to me, you cannot run the blended podcast because of your bias against male doctors. <laughs> like that's repeated this whole thing got. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, wait a second. Like, we really need to. And it's it, like a like I said, it is the inspiration behind this episode because I was like, that's just one conversation. Let's bring other perspectives into this and really see where we stand on preference versus bias. Rima, what do you think? Um, I think intention feels like a really interesting word here because when we think about, you know, going to the female doctor, myself as a female, I can't assume that that person has the the experience of the problem that I'm going to that doctor about. And I, I guess that's kind of where the bias, bias or preference comes towards the male doctor. But, you know, in all of these situations, actually, you would hope the intention of someone is just to be a good medical professional and that they can leave behind any sort of biases that they might have as, oh, I'm seeing this patient who looks like this kind of person, therefore they must have this type of experience. So in the same way that I would hope the medical professional is going to leave that behind, I work really hard every single day to try to leave that behind for myself as well. But again, it kind of comes down to that thing with biology and our species is we need to judge danger. And so that comes from the days where we were living out in the open when we didn't have the safety and shelter of homes is that if we saw something coming, we needed to understand what was what was the impact of this and you know what is the intention of this thing that's coming towards me so i think that's where bias and preference become really interesting especially in this case because again like i say you just really hope that that medical professional whoever they are is going to treat you as a person based on what it is that you're bringing hopefully outside of this uh characteristic that we would both fit in well and what do you think um past experience how much does past experience have on our preferences versus bias? Kate, were you putting up your hand? Oh, well, I mean, I'm sort of putting this out to everybody. How, how, how do we move through past experiences and make sure that it's not bias? And then I have another question based on what Rima talked about, because she brought up another great point. We can only do so much internally and for ourselves. <laughs> How do we manage the external bias? So if it is a preference for me to have a female doctor, but then I see some bias that comes comes from her, how do we sort of deal with that? So, sorry, George, go ahead. So I posed two questions. George? Oh, I, I was going to just say, I, I think... I think it's natural for us to use our experiences to help navigate us and our decisions moving forward. I mean, but it always comes back to us. And I think back to Samantha's point and even what I said the first question earlier in the podcast, um, it's up to us to remain objective and kind of really challenge ourselves to see if what we're doing is, 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 checks out I, I think for lack of a better word i mean we can we can have trauma surrounded you know having a, a male doctor but mm-hmm. we have to remain you know sure in the position that this other doctor i may i might go see is not going to do the same thing mm-hmm. um and I think that goes as far as who we seek personal services from you know you know with with our homes or with our cars or you know or with our medical providers it's 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 having to still 
kind of check ourselves and 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 approach everything moving forward with an objective mindset and kind of trying to figure out you know really how to protect yourself by at the same time as as you know feeling safe and getting what you need done well and so this is another part of the conversation i'm going to ask all these sorts of questions and we're going to go off in all sorts of different directions but the mental health stamp uh, side of things right if you do have trauma and it is um, that you are basing your preference over bias or your bias over preference based on past trauma. And there is anxiety, panic attacks, different things that happen when you do try to go step out of your comfort zone. There has to be some sort of grace when it comes to that because everybody has different past experiences and has different um, things that happen to them when they do try. So I think that's another part of this conversation is we do have to have grace grace for people. So Samantha, I'm going to go to you next, but I want also everybody to think about maybe an example of preference versus bias. I know, Samantha, you've already uh, shared one, but if you have another one, that's fine too. But for anybody who has an example of it, because I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into some of the examples that you guys might have as well. Samantha? Yeah. So what I want to say was, I think our past um, creates our lens of perspective. So everybody, we all wear metaphorical glasses, and they are tinted with our perspective, with our past histories, our traumas, our everything, and that tints our color of lenses as how we see the world. And that's okay, as long as you're willing to take your glasses off every once in a while and change them up. And it's all about um, being self-aware. So with people with with known biases, so sometimes you walk around the world and you don't even know that you have a bias for something until somebody right? else points it. Yeah. So when you understand that you have a bias, and you have the self-awareness enough to say, okay, I'm going to take those glasses off real fast. Let me, let me take those off, see a different picture. And so that I can correct my bias. I think that's where we have to get to. We all have to recognize that we have, we have these um, different preferences. We have, we absolutely have um, biases, but we also have to recognize that we have work to do within ourselves to be able to change those. And then just like communication, I cannot um, control my message as it comes out of my mouth and how you receive it. I'm sorry, I can't control how you receive my message, but I can control how it comes out. So I can control how I see biases and how what biases that I have, but I can't control the biases that are coming at me. I can only control the response to the bias that might be coming at me, right? So it's again, it's it's it, it all comes back to our self awareness of ourselves. How do we act on them? How do we respond to them? And then how can we um, help others? Um, maybe fight their own biases in a respectful, open manner without, you know, turning them completely away because obviously there's a way to do that. Um, so yeah, it, it all comes back to self-intention, self-awareness, and and all the work that we have to put into ourselves every day walking around, taking on and off our lenses to see from different perspectives. Yeah. I have a lot of questions um, to ask everybody. It's a good thing we have a lot of time. My question uh, back to you, Samantha, just on the last thing that you said, and it kind of goes to like allyship. Can we have allyship and bias? Like how would you know that somebody is being biased towards somebody and then speaking up for them? Or can you do that? Can you do that? Can yeah. you not do that? Like... Humans are like ogres. Ogres are like onions. What? Layers. <laughs> right? So it's going to take a while sometimes to peel back those layers to get to people's biases. 
And I think you absolutely can have allyship in in any relationship. You just have to understand, again, it's the message that you put out. How do you deliver that message, right? So like, it's just like having, seeing a coworker do something wrong or have a bias. And, or, or if you're on an interview panel and, and you're discussing with the interview panel and they're saying, well, I don't like them because of insert said bias. Well, again, self-reflection, do one, do I have the relationship to be able to stand up to this person and say, hey, that's that's not okay. Uh, two, do I need to go to somebody else to help me with that conversation? Um, but I, I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely okay to have allyship in this. It's just, again, how, how do you, um, how do you, how do you take, get that message out? How is it received and how do you repair that repair the relationship um, if you want to continue to have it? It's it's a it's a juggling act. It's it's not easy. It's something that we it's a it's a muscle that we ne- we don't work out enough. It's it's it's, 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 it's it's probably an atrophy, I would say, at this point in the society. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's not something we can get up, give up on. And mm-hmm. uh, I think allies, allyship is one of the. Um, I think that's one of the most easiest ways to get yourself into it because I love that person. I, lo- I, I love that person. I respect that person. I want to make sure that you're, you know, you're on the up and up and I, I want to bring you along the journey mm-hmm. with me. That's interesting. I have an episode coming out in I think two months about the real cost of allyship, which is totally going to dive deep into that part of the conversation. Rima, you put your hand up. I think the thing that's really interesting to think about as well is in independence. So, for example, can you be an ally and can you be biased? And unfortunately, yes, because like a lot of bias is not even known. Like we don't even know that we carry the bias around with us or sometimes even the preference. And so I think that's really interesting to think about. It literally in the same sentence, someone can say, oh, we shouldn't hire that candidate because of this this thing, you know, this characteristic that they have. But we will hire this other characteristic, uh, this other person because they have, you know, some sort of like offshoot of the same characteristic. Probably a more concrete example would be better there. But here we are. Um, and I think that kind of thinks about how, you know, we were talking earlier about how you can you can make a judgment based on if we go back to the male female doctor is I've had this past experience with a female doctor for example and I have to assume really that not every female doctor is going to give me that same service feels like the wrong word but you know that same experience Mm -hmm. and so it's this idea that actually if you play the lottery one week and certain numbers one to five are called out it's absolutely possible that the next week you could get the same numbers because those are two independent events and I think that's where bias really becomes an issue is when you say well I had a female doctor one time it was really bad so every female doctor must be terrible and that's where that this really becomes an issue but actually we just need to kind of educate ourselves to know that every single person is different and especially then when it comes to comes to intersectionality because you know the female male doctor is an interesting one but then when you compound that with other characteristics how does that look as well because people again naturally consciously or unconsciously will bring in their bias and preference there too yeah especially in hiring right if we bring it back to the workplace and we think about hiring i was just watching uh this show called trust (laughs) on netflix i think it just came out i don't know if anybody watched it it's a game it's kind of like a game and um it was interesting because they had to line up in like the person with the highest IQ, like the person who is the smartest to the least smartest. And then it was like the person who has the most leadership to the least leadership. And you watch it because the Caucasian male put himself in the first spot every single time. 
And then he had to choose. Then he had to put people in different spots. And it was really interesting to watch where he put everybody. And that shows very clearly preference versus bias. Katie, you put up your, your hand as well. Yeah, so I have um, an interesting story to put on, on the table. Early in my career, I worked as a recruiter. And often I was working with hiring managers. And because I was young in my career, a lot of times I felt like maybe too shy to push back. But I started to notice that Men, when looking at a resume, a men, uh, male hiring manager, he would be willing to interview someone based on the university they went to. So if they were, you know, someone from a u- university similar to where they went to or a prestigious university, automatically they would be willing to, to interview them. Women, on the other hand, would dive very like deep into resumes and look for very specific skills. And often it was things that they themselves possessed. Mm. And so as a recruiter pushing back, because I would, you know, I would feel strongly about different candidates and I would want to get the position filled. Um, It was interesting. Like you have to appeal to the things that they see in themselves. And I think that's where bias can become dangerous because they maybe can miss out on a candidate who would be a great fit for the role but aren't necessarily willing to look at them because they don't possess the the similar the similar skills. Mm-hmm. And if I were to go forward in time, you know, 25 years, I probably would have had more courage now to push back, but I didn't have that, you know, that experience. And obviously my career took took a very different path from there. So when you were looking at resumes as a recruiter, how would you judge yourself from a bias standpoint? Were you picking some of those candidates because you had a bias and then they were picking some because they had a bias and then we're like meeting somewhere in the middle? <laughs> I mean, probably, you know, br- bringing it up now, probably I would see, you know, similar things in myself or I would see someone who, you know, was from the Midwest and I would automatically think, you know, because I came from the Midwest, they must be yeah. a hard worker. And so that should be someone, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that we should interview. And, you know, that, you know, again, it gets, that gets dangerous, yeah. um, but it happens all the time. Yeah. And being able to, to identify that in, in the hiring process, I think is, is really important. Yeah. It's like when they say can all Canadians are nice. Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, Kate, do you have, thanks for sharing that uh, example, Katie. I think it, you know, I think it's really interesting also to see where preference versus bias comes up for us in a variety of different ways. Kate, do you have an example that you want to share with us of preference versus bias? Yeah. So um, like I said many times, I am uh, physically disabled. And since I'm still a college student, I go to career fairs, I interview for internships and jobs all the time. Even speaking to professors, I can tell immediately if someone has a bias towards a disabled person, just by how they speak to me. Mm-hmm. Like if they don't talk to me like I'm a child, then I know there's a bias. And occasionally a professor will ask me if I'm able to like do the work that the other students are doing when there shouldn't be that question at all. Um, And then also just career fairs and interviews, people 
do have bias towards disabled people sometimes because they don't think that I'm just as capable of doing their job as anyone else's. Yeah, absolutely. And I have another, and thank you for sharing that example with us. Um, there's somebody, uh, Dylan Rafferty, he's actually going to be on a, a, an episode coming up and he posted about a week ago, um, cause he also has, um, physical disabilities and he's looking for a job. And so his post says since March, 2023, he's applied to well over 600 job posting with rejection after rejection. And he proudly self-identifies and is rejected 24 to 48 hours later. And when he doesn't self-identify on applications, because he's done this sort of like testing, um, he doesn't receive a rejection. He gets to like the next stage uh, in the interview process. And so I think it's really interesting in the fact that we want people to talk about who they are and what they do and how they identify and what's important to them and who are they holistically. But then when we think about hiring processes, going back to Katie's point, is that we actually bring it all the way down to bias in pretty much everything that we do. Kate, you came off mute. Did you have something to add? Yeah, I think specifically with um, disabled people, like in that example you just shared, um, people just don't want to interview us because they're uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. it makes you uncomfortable to, like Samantha said, interact with the Caucasians for um, maybe for other people to if you're a female to interact with a male doctor, it makes you uncomfortable to get out of that bias. And so people don't want to. And so they never do. Right. Right. And I think also if it's something that you can actually see. Right. Then that bias almost becomes more forefront than it does if you have a conversation with something and somebody and somebody something comes out later on. Right. And so I guess that's a question in regards to immediate bias. Right. Because sometimes we can have immediate bias if we can actually see something that we have bias against. And sometimes it's prolonged bias if we're, you know, talking to somebody um, like I'll, I'll, sh I'll share an example. I go to a massage therapist and I've been going to him for three years. He just told me about a month or so ago that he's a Jehovah, a Jehovah's Witness. I had no idea. I have no bias against Jehovah's Witness. But if I was somebody who had a bias against that, I might stop seeing him after three years. And so that's sort of a prolonged, you know, time period of time of getting to know somebody and then letting your bias sort of take over and make the decisions for yourself. And so that's just another example of the fact that some of the bias you can see, some of it you can't, some of it comes out later in a conversation. Rima. Yeah, there's such an interesting thing there about self-disclosure because there are certain things yeah. that we can self-disclose because they're not visible and other things that we can't. So that bias can be a choice that we like maybe choose. I can choose to expose myself to something based on some of my hidden characteristics. Uh, whereas some of the other ones, I get no choice because someone will assume that I am something based on how I look. And that 
that can be really tough. I think it's really tough to talk about preference and bias without bringing in this word discrimination as well, because obviously that's what happens, uh, you know, off the back of a lot of this as well. Yeah, Kate. And then I'll go to you, George. Yeah, and I think it's hard um, specifically with the biases that are visible. Um, Using my example of being disabled, you know, ADA guidelines like employers aren't allowed to ask about Mm -hmm. your disability, but they can clearly see it. But because they're not allowed to ask, there's a lot of assumptions that get made. They're not true. And so I have to come in up front and be like, okay, I will tell you whatever you want to know. I will share whatever I need to share. And I am pretty much an open book because I don't want people to just assume things because of their bias. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And it must be, I just want to acknowledge that that must be so exhausting. Oh, it is. (laughs) Yeah. And like kudos to you for, you know, keeping at it and like saying and understanding that this is where people are and saying, I don't, I don't care about that. I need you to know who I am as a person and what I bring to the table. Right. Thank you for sharing that. George. I, um, I think self-disclosure is huge, especially when it comes to, as you said, immediate biases you can see, you know, because you fear the more implicit biases of other people, especially in the workplace. I mean, when you're talking about as an individual worrying about disclosing things about yourself, for example, my first PR agency, going back to kind of like the the recruiting end of things, you know, company culture is great to have, but it's an ex, it's extremely it's an extremely fine line. We're discussing biases, um, bias, and 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 hiring candidates for a new position because oftentimes it's trying to fit them into this mold of will they fit this company culture, whatever that may be. Um, And oftentimes it comes down to alma mater, it comes down to background, it comes down, you know, and I used to hear the HR individuals speak about, you know, first of all, in my office, I can't tell you besides Latin Americans, there were no other, you know, people of color in the office. And it was heavily female dominated in the field which is fine. That's just naturally kind of what the communications field had at that point, right? But when I was hearing the hiring process and I could see what was going on, they hired mostly Florida grads, right? Like University of Florida grads. They had preference that. They almost always weeded out a lot of the other people who came from local universities like Florida International University and University of Miami. Um, And that's more on that kind of sense. But when I actually, I don't know, my YouTube algorithm is very bizarre and I get really weird YouTube shorts about these bro podcasts, you know, and then these bro podcasts, they actually had a couple hiring uh, recruiters on the thing. And they were talking about how if they saw candidates who put their pronouns on their resumes, it would automatically trash them. Wow. And it blew me away. It blew me away because... As a recruiter, you do have that power, right? That's you're kind of given this invisible wand to kind of remove these that you don't feel are fit for the company, right? Quote unquote. But oftentimes that personal bias as like, oh wait, this person has their pronouns, they're not gonna be easy to work with. They're gonna be too self-declarative about their beliefs. They're gonna be, you know, against the team because the team might be more conservative, quote unquote, or more of a belief system of certain kind of background and 
you know, and you would never know unless that person said something on that short. I'll go back to something that I brought up at the Woman in Supply Chain forum while Katie was no, it wasn't you. Charlie Safra was on stage. And I was like, well, I heard this conversation at a recent um, event between two males, two males in leadership positions at very large companies. And they were like, well, if you don't come and work in the office, you're not going to get promoted. Like, that's a bias. But nobody necessarily talks about these different ones that come up, right? I had a lot of people come up to me after I said that and sort of asked the question of, how do you deal with that? Um, because people were like, it's so true. Like, this is such a bias that's rampant right now in the hybrid society that we're living in and nobody's talking about it. And I honestly wouldn't have known unless they had said it like they did at the table that day. Samantha. Yeah. Just another like example before the LinkedIn base, (laughs) pictures are everywhere. I win a lot by Sam. And that's because of, as a female in transportation, if someone said Sam Galton is coming, they didn't know who to expect, oh, right? They yeah. didn't know that I was stepping in. Um, and it was the same thing when I was picking my daughter's name. I picked a very ambiguous name so that I knew when she put her name on a resume and it's just a piece of paper, there would be no judgment based on just her name. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's because of my experiences coming up. Um, I mean, Black female with the name Samantha. No one ever expected me to walk into the room. And then going by Sam Gallatin, no one ever expected it. And, and that's the way that I liked it because if it was different, especially being in a male-saturated environment, um, I knew that I was walking into a room full of bias. Mm-hmm. And then it was until I opened my mouth and actually proved that I, I deserved a seat at the table that um, I started going by my name and, and my given name and, and uh, earning my stripes that way. But um, bias is is everywhere, especially in the corporate world and in the room. And it's um, and sorry, I just want to bring this back, Kate. I was just like, I don't know if you saw my face, but I'm just grimacing. I am so sorry. Gosh, I mean, like everybody, it, there's you know, we all have our struggles, but like uh, it's uh, it's unimaginable the daily exhaustion that you must have to mm-hmm. to have to to fight those. So um, my I, my apologies for the the world that we live in. It's it's just that's just awful. Well, that means a lot. But yeah, I mean, it is. Unfortunately, it's the world we live in right now. And people just have those biases and they make the assumptions because of their bias. And I have to go in places and be like, okay, I deserve a seat at the table. And if you're not going to give me on, give me one, I'll bring my own. So I love that. You're going to bring your own and put it right in the middle of the room. Quite literally, I bring my own. You what? Quite literally, I bring yeah. my own in my Exactly. Group. You're going to park it right in the middle of the room and you're going to put yes. your hand up and you're going to be like, I have something to say. Yes. And when you decide to do that, call all of us and we're going to be in that room with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Rima, just quickly, I need to be uh, cognizant of time for Samantha. So Samantha, I know you have to go. Do you have one thing from this conversation that you'd like the audience to walk away from with? thinking about um 
So yes, my one thing to to walk away with is is this is a this is a personal thing. This is an individual battle that we all must fight, um, and I think it's a call to action. I think for all of us, um, and and I'm going to say it. It's going to be politically charged, but this is not just for the woke folk, right? This is not this is not just for the progressive people. This is everyone and every day because our preferences and biases affect every single person that we touch, even the people that we just choose to smile at while we're passing them by, we have something in our brain to say, I'm going to smile at that person or not, right? So this is this is our everyday, if you, if you journal every day, if you meditate every day, if you take two minutes every day to think about your personal biases and your preferences, I think it makes the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be my one takeaway from today and learning from everyone and, and their stories is um, this, this is a personal battle that we all have to fight. Uh, and to make this world a, a more comfortable, better place for everyone, we got to do the work. Yes, and it resolution 2024's mic drop yes. by Samantha before she goes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Samantha. I appreciate you for joining us today. All Love right, Thank Rima. You. Sorry, um, I'm going to bring you back into the conversation. I know you raised your hand. Yeah, awesome. I have to try to remember what I was going to say. Uh, it was about the seat at the table stuff. And I found that really interesting. I came across a, I think it, by a quick Google search, it looks like it's a European-based country, uh, sorry, company called Faith in Nature. And what they've done is literally give nature a seat at their table. So they've employed someone to be the voice of nature um, so that they can have that voice and someone to literally sit and challenge them. And it's something that's really interesting to me as I build my own company is I absolutely want to give all of the people that I represent a seat at the table too. And, and to do that in a way where you cannot expect that one person being the voice of that group is able to fully represent that whole group, but also that you can start to bring in some of the empathy that comes from someone's lived experiences and all of the experience that they'll have from researching and being part of the community and how that dialogue can kind of evolve and expand by having all of those people at the table. And as Samantha said, like, it's not, it's not an easy thing. Otherwise we wouldn't have this conversation, but what we can do is invest some time into making sure that we are challenging ourselves. And I think that's incredibly important and something that unfortunately is not going to stop anytime soon, I don't think. No, but I think it brings up a really good point in the fact that we all can do something in our own way. So I've chosen to do it through the Blended Podcast, where I'm able to give a variety of people a seat at the table to share their perspective, share their lived experiences, and to talk about you know, the tough topics, right? I mean, these aren't easy topics. These aren't topics that, you know, you're going to go around the water cooler and be like, hey, what do you think about preference versus bias? You know, but it really gets people talking and really understanding where points of view and perspectives come from. And if you do the same, if this has inspired you or you were going to do that anyway, where, you know, you can bring people from different walks of life into your team to be able to challenge you. And maybe it's not on your team. Maybe it's you know, somebody to come in once a month to challenge your team on how you're thinking about things and how you're talking about things and your preference versus bias and things like that. That all is going to make a difference because it's all about making people think. Now, a lot of what we've talked about today, and I'm going to get back to um, I'm going to get back to how do we sort of solve this. But first, I want to bring up a couple of different things. One is we've been talking a lot about conscious bias. 
Now, there's a lot of unconscious bias. And so I guess my question to you guys is, how does unconscious bias play a role in this conversation of preference versus bias? And Katie, I'm going to I'm I'm going to pick on you for this one. <laughs> well, so uh that's it's it's, it's such hard, a, right? It's such a tough question because oh. unconscious it means that we're we're mm-hmm. not aware of it and I think that's where you need to rely on your community and your colleagues to have the the comfort to call you out because unconscious bias is probably the the most damaging because you don't you don't realize that you're you're doing it and it's happening mm-hmm. all the time and i think once we can challenge and once we can tackle some of the unconscious bias i think that that's you know that's where the solution lies mm-hmm. um i think you know, when you think about, you know, I think about people who say like, oh, this person is a culture fit, right? And in a lot of ways, culture is biased. So we maybe need to change the way that, that we're thinking about that culture fit, because that unconscious bias is stifling innovation. You know, studies have proven that when you have when you have diversity, that it, it creates innovation. So I think, um, just going back, we need to reframe how we're thinking of a lot of things and then establish the comfort within our friend groups, within our organizations to be able to call each other out. I mean, just look at the example of the conversation that my friend and I had, like heated. We're still friends. It's all good. But, you know, you've got to be able to be challenged like that, but also understand that she's passionate about one side. You know, and understanding where that comes from and maybe her bias is playing, you know, a piece of a piece of that conversation. And so we need to sit in the uncomfortable to be able to do that. When you talk about reframing, though, it makes me think about the word bias. And I wonder if maybe we put too much negative connotivity on that particular word. And I want to I want to come back and circle back to that word only because I feel like human nature is to be biased. We're going to have bias. I don't think there's any way that we cannot be biased, right? And so I think it's kind of, and I I don't know if human nature is the word, but I think it just comes with who we are and what we do in the society that we live in and who we surround ourselves with. It's going to come with bias. And so I feel like a lot of times when we talk about the word bias, it comes out negatively. And so therefore, I think we stifle conversation around the word bias because nobody wants to put their hands up and be like, yes, I'm biased about this, 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 this. I need all the help I can get. I mean, nobody's going to do that, right? And I think if we put too much negativity against a word, people shy away from it and they shy away from conversations about it and they shy away from the personal development development that we need to do around it. So I just want to throw that out there to have a conversation around it so that maybe we can change the stigma around the word. What do you think, George? I, when I when I think of, you know, when I think of the word bias or bias when it's used in context of certain kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. you know, I think of more, more of, uh, for example, I drive BMWs. I've had BMWs for 
years, right? I am biased. I think BMWs are of the best driving cars you can drive, right? Now, someone's in the market for a vehicle, a friend of mine, and they ask me what I, you know, what I think they should get. I'm like, okay, you want to spend 56 grand in the car? You can't get anything better than a BMW, right? <laughs> I'm biased towards that, though. <laughs> Did and you so, tell them that, though? This comes with a disclaimer. <laughs> you know, I have. I've had many. I have those conversations where I'm like, if you don't want to fix it, get a Honda. If you don't care to fix it, get a BMW. No question. No question. When <laughs> you get a little dirty here and there, you know, pick up a wrench, buy the BMW. But I think in those instances where where there's like open market, right? If there's like, if it's a case where it's like not dealing with people, I think bias is, you know, maybe a little less controversial, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't live in Atlanta, live in uh, Valdosta, Georgia. It's it's a better place to live, but oh. And there's he, a Bucky's, I think, like an hour yeah, away. But anyway, right just he grew up there, so he's biased, you know, like that's kind of like, there's always that like, okay, it's almost like an opinion, I think of I think of bias in that context as one's opinion where, you know, it can be taken as how as much as it wants to be taken, right? As long as it's not kind of like you're stupid for choosing that. Right. No, you should be doing this. That's when it's, you know, a little bit much of a, a little bit of a different conversation. Okay. But um I think I think it's I think it's appropriate that we admit we all have bias. No one is unbiased, you know. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask, right? Because yeah. I feel like we talk about it negatively, but then I think that stifles the conversation. What do you think, Katie? Thanks, George. So I think <laughs> it's I I totally agree with George that you know there are there are settings where you know bias it it doesn't matter in the in the case of a BMW. I drive a Volvo, by the way, so I'll fight you for you know Volvo versus. BMW. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not hurting anybody. But when when it comes to to bias that's negative negatively impacting someone, that's I think where you where you draw the line. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe we need to come up with a different word for it. Maybe it's maybe it's not maybe it's not called bias. Maybe it's maybe it's called something else. Because I, I do agree that there's so much negative connotation that's around this word that that it automatically elicits this this negative feeling, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't discount the importance of talking about it. It's just, it's, it's true. Yeah. yeah, it's a hard one. That's why I wanted to ask it because it's a hard one, right? I mean, we want to get people talking about it, and people don't like feeling uncomfortable. And I don't know if we necessarily need to change the word. I just wonder if we change the stigma around it and the fact that everybody recognizes that we all have bias. Right. And so, you know, it can ne negatively impact through actions, but that we all inherently have bias, which is not necessarily a bad thing as long as we're aware of it and we're intentional about it, et cetera. Kate, did you want to jump into this? Yeah, so I just think, I mean, we've been talking about a lot, like, the negative impacts of bias, but there are definitely some positive biases you can have. I mean, I think for me, even in like friends I make, I tend to be more drawn to like diverse people and um, just like kind people. And I don't think that's a negative bias, but it is definitely a bias. Mm -hmm. That is very, very true. Rima. 
I think I wonder if the thing that Katie is alluding to here is about using a different word is maybe the word that goes hand in hand, even if we don't replace word, uh, the word bias, is awareness, because that then maybe suggests this thing that we always need to be aware because we can't we can unlearn a bias, but we're constantly going to need to be aware because the thing that we're biased towards today okay, maybe we can switch that off and it's not going to come up again, but the world will continue to evolve and there'll be new things that we might develop a bias against. So we need to constantly be aware of what are those things. I'm trying to not be too philosophical about it, but it's really hard to not be in this type of conversation, you know, is that like the world will continue to grow and evolve. And so it should, which means that we need to continually grow and evolve how we see things and and what biases, preferences and awarenesses that we can kind of carry around with that. And again, bringing out Samantha's point around you know, just going through the world and just like being better. She said it way nicer than I did, yeah. but it's that thing, isn't it? It's just going through and just smiling at people and doing that and being aware that people have their own lives and everything that comes with that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the easy things, the hard things and the nice and the, you know, the not nice parts too. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Let's get to solutions then. What, um, I mean, we've all talked about awareness. We've all talked about being intentional. Um, But are there maybe some, and then Samantha, as she was leaving, said, you know, maybe we need to spend a couple of minutes a day on, (laughs) you know, meditating or sitting with our biases or going through maybe some of the things that we did for the day that maybe were done out of bias so that we could change them for the next day. And one thing I do want to point out is that this is a journey for everybody. Nobody has the answer and nobody's doing it 100% correctly. I mean, let's just throw it out there. Everybody has bias. (laughs) Nobody's doing it 100% correctly. And everybody's on a journey to figure that out. And like Rima said, you know, the world evolves and things are going to change. And one day you're going to have bias about something and the next thing you're going to end up having bias about something else because something has changed. And so I want to make sure that whoever's listening um, takes that with them because I feel like we can get overwhelmed about so many things. I don't want them to be overwhelmed about bias in the fact that we have it and it's natural and it's going to happen and you're going to make mistakes. You know what I mean? So um, what are some of the questions we should ask ourselves maybe to hold ourselves accountable, be intentional, be aware, right? Like if I'm walking around and I have all this bias and I don't realize it, what is a question that I should ask myself where I would, you know, be like, oh, maybe I do have some bias. Katie? (laughs) I was just thinking, so I think in our most comfortable moments, maybe ask ourselves, could we have done that differently? So if I'm sitting you know, go back to the, you know, the lunchroom, sitting in the lunchroom and I'm sitting with the people that I've known for 15 years, you know, could I have done that differently? Could I have sat down and, you know, sat with the new employee or sat with a group that I don't know a lot about? I think in our most comfortable moments, that's where there's the opportunities to ask ourselves if we can do something differently. Mm -hmm. And just, we've talked about this already, but increasing our awareness and being, being aware, because I think understanding bias allows us to recognize the bias feelings in ourselves. And that allows us to to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Rima, what do you think? 
Yeah, acknowledging that it even exists feels like the biggest thing, right? That's a good um, one, yeah. Yeah, then we can kind of move forward and, and think about how we can approach that. I think the other thing is to be kind of kind to ourselves, which which maybe feels com- not counterintuitive. Kind to yourself should never feel counterintuitive. But this thing of be kind to yourself with the fact that you're not going to be able to fix this immediately within yourself, within society. So setting kind of realistic expectations about how you can evolve your position on this incredibly complicated topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Kate? Yeah, so I think that a huge question is just, I mean, kind of building up what Rima says, like just acknowledging that it does exist and we all have bias towards something positive or negative. Um, And maybe just like sitting with that thought, just kind of building up what Samantha said earlier, but like why did I smile at this person but not this person? Yeah, why did I hold the door open for this person and not this person? You know, just thinking about things that you do simple like that just throughout the day can kind of help you identify your own biases. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you. George, anything to add? I think it it comes down to rewiring your brain to a certain to a certain degree. Um, Having examples around you and taking those in is a really big part of it. You know, being a first generation, you know, kid and having parents who grew up a different way and you using your own experience of growing up in your life at school versus home and and being able to kind of maybe you know take take what your parents said you know you kind of grew up the ideals you grew up around and and compare it to what you've experienced and be like "Mm, i don't agree with that like i don't really see it that way and you know i i think that's kind of like the benefits of having uh the, the benefits of, of having kind of like immigrant parents who have a certain view of the world and then being the American, right? You know, when you go back home, it's never, you're never Greek enough. You know, my family, my family's, you're never Greek enough or you're never this enough because, you know, you're first generation, you have an accent and you speak the language, this and that. But, you know, it's it's really kind of rewiring your brain and, and, and taking your experiences from what's around you as your own. Mm-hmm. And honestly, whether they're explicit or implicit biases, you got to own it to a degree. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, and and as, as terrible as that may sound, you know, it's challenging yourself. But in the moments where you really feel firm and you don't feel like challenging those things, it's, you know, have a good reason behind it mm-hmm. and be open, to, <laughs> be open to change because, you know, we can tell everyone think differently. A lot of people. Well, and have the desire. I think one one piece of that is to have the to have the desire to want to be that better human, Mm -hmm. right? That better ally, that better friend, that better support. One Mm -hmm. other thing that I wanted to mention before I go to Rima real quick is um, going back to what I was saying about the word bias being a little bit negative. I'm listening to Brene Brown. Um, I think it's the power of vulnerability, and she talks about shame triggers. And so when I hear the word bias, I almost wonder if maybe that could be a shame trigger for people. And so recognizing it and understanding that that, you know, talking about that word or talking to somebody about their bias or making maybe making them aware of the bias, understanding from their standpoint also that it could potentially be a shame trigger in how you have that conversation so that we can move forward in the conversation about bias um, instead of, you know, having, uh, having it go the wrong way. Rima. 
Yeah, not to take over from hosting duty, Sarah, but I think there's an interesting question here no, around. Go ahead. <laughs> I think there's an interesting question here around, you know, there's a lot of times I've heard older generation people say, oh, well, this is just how it was in my generation. Or like, we're ne- you're never going to change someone uh, from thinking this way. And I'm too old to change how I think. Yeah. And then so interesting for you to mention shame trigger, because I wonder, does that come from some, does that come from that place, wherever it comes from? How do we challenge those people to to just acknowledge as the first step of we're kind of agreeing that there is something there to be changed? Because those times you have to feel, or certainly I felt is, do I have the energy to have this conversation with someone to try to change their mind? And sometimes the ch- the thing is no, you know, like Kate, I'm sure that's kind of what you were saying earlier is you're just exhausted on a daily basis, having the same conversation, facing the same biases and prejudice. You don't want to have that conversation where you're championing, championing yourself because you don't always have the energy to, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Kate, did you want to jump in on that before I go to George? Yeah, I was just definitely, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Rima, just like, yeah, it is exhausting to over and over try to not really argue with people, but just try to give your point and solve these people's assumptions. And sometimes it is exhausting. And I know sometimes going into a conversation, like I'm not going to be able to change their opinion. So this probably is in the right place for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like how you feel that day too. Like they might say something and you might like totally be over the top because you're just over it. But people have to understand because you do that two or three times a day. But yeah, you're going to have moments. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'll hear the same thing multiple times in a day. And like sometimes I just am like, okay, whatever. Like I'll just go away from it and be done with the conversation and sometimes I do want to fight back because you know Mm -hmm. maybe it is just one of those moments yeah exactly and having to pick and choose the right moments I mean I just can't even imagine thank you for sharing that George last word and then we're going to go on to the one thing you want people to leave this conversation with I I love the cultural component of any kind of topic I mean I think in this case it's a huge piece of it Right. Because um, it's it's not only navigating kind of the cultural aspect of your home and challenging the implicit and explicit biases within your home, but it's also that within your American workplace that may be led by certain kinds of people that may take certain things differently or having coworkers of different backgrounds that might take certain things you say differently. And that can kind of go into, you know, can be considered microaggressions, right? Or this and that. And, and you know, and all, it all coming back to tone and kind of how you're saying things and how, you know, you say it, but how it's also received. Mm-hmm. And exhausting is a very good word because you almost feel like you have to be responsible to manage all the communication. You know, as a gay person, you feel like you have to have a voice for certain kinds of things because it's expected of you to have voices of those certain kinds of things. Or you're an immigrant child, you have to have a certain kind of voice about certain things. And and then you're also trying to, you know, navigate and filter what your parents are saying because maybe they're not what, Mm -hmm. you know, but you have to understand like these are people, you know, and these are people who, it's understanding why. Mm-hmm. And I think in the end, we have to sit back and realize and understand. I've had to rewire a lot from, 
you know, why my dad says things a certain way and why my mom says things a certain way and, you know, versus how I grew up and it being kind of like a very unspoken, high context kind of mm-hmm. way of being raised, you know. But it's it's asking why and figuring out is a really big piece of it because people lived 40, 50, 60 years before you, you're not going to be right, you know. Why is it that they feel that way? Where is there some kind of area of resolution? Um, anyway, I love the yeah. cultural component. I, <laughs> I love that. All good points and bias comes from and everywhere and within all of us. And I think there's really just a human compo- component that and having conversations like this, like be, being willing to be in a room like this to have conversations just to understand where they come from and how they affect people and what it means to -to day-to-day lives. All right. So we are just about to wind down. I want to ask you, what's one thing that you'd like people to take away thinking about or putting action, putting into action from this conversation today? Rima, I'm going to start with you. You're on the hot seat. (laughs) I think I just want to reinforce that point around independence and that you might think something around a whole group of people, but remember that each single human within those groups have got their own experience and their own histories and their own context. So just use that to kind of carry forward when you have a bias, acknowledge it firstly, and then think about the fact that everyone has their own experiences Mm -hmm. as we will do ourselves too. Um, Just use that to challenge your bias. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. George, last word for you. I think it's it's very American to think about ourselves, right? I think it's a very um, egocentric uh, culture mindset with certain things, and I, I believe it's it's. I want everyone to take away that the world is bigger than us. It's bigger than our own perspective, and it's our responsibility. I feel to a certain degree to be open an understanding of others and what they, you know, what they understand and what they experience. Um, I think it's, it's reckless if we choose not to do that. I think it's almost like a civic, a civil responsibility for us to do that for others. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Katie. So I think, you know, seek to understand, understand that this is not something that's going to happen overnight. Be kind to yourself and make sure that every conversation that you're going into, that you know that that person is coming from a different set of bias. They're coming from a different set of experiences. And the more that we can meet people where they are and be that kind of, you know, uh, peace in the middle, if you will, um, the easier it's going to be for for us to get over these unconscious biases. Awesome. Thank you. And last word goes to Kate. Okay. I think I would challenge everyone to figure out what your biases are, um, positive or negative, whether it's the way you look at someone, speak to them, interact with someone, because I mean, kind of building off um, what George said, like, it's not, the world is bigger than just you. And so you have to figure out what those biases are and how you can go about changing them. 
Absolutely. Well, the conversation around preference and bias is a complicated one, to say the least, and supporting preference whilst fighting bias is a tricky line to walk. So those overarching themes that we talked about so much on Blended really come into play in this discussion. Firstly, it's important for us as individuals to do the work. We need to work on ourselves, whatever that looks like, work on that self-awareness and develop the ability to question ourselves and our preferences, even if it feels uncomfortable. And secondly, we need to work harder at opening opening up conversations at home and at work Taking an open-minded approach, giving grace and educating with love has a much greater chance of success when it comes to tackling bias than confronting with anger and judgment. Remember that you can reach out to me or any of our guests on social media if you have anything that you would like to add about what we've talked about today. And remember to join us next time. Blended is the place to learn, get inspired, be challenged, and discover different points of view. So if you want to get involved in the best conversations happening in DEI right now, make sure that you don't miss it. A huge round of applause to Katie, Rima, Samantha, Kate, and George. It is not easy to firstly say yes, second to show up, and third to be part of conversations around hard topics. And you all showed courage today by being on the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yes, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you.